This week we're looking at a series on the life of Jesus Christ, getting to know Jesus, the story of Jesus. And so each uh, night, and then of course twice on Sunday, we're going to take uh, a look at an aspect of who Jesus is um, as an eternal being and as a person, God made flesh that came here onto this earth. And so tonight, we're going to look specifically at the concept of Jesus being eternal. As we introduce this topic of Jesus and who he is, it, it begs the question to me, what do you first think of when you hear Jesus? And for most people, it's probably the bearded guy with longer hair that wear, wears sandals and, and long robes and went around teaching and doing miracles and things like that. And certainly that's true. Jesus was a man. But before Jesus was a man, he existed. He existed as God. And so we might picture Jesus as God. We might picture Jesus as a man. But the reality is both are true. Jesus was God long before he became the human being that we recognize as Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk about the fact that Jesus has always existed. Now, if we look at the scripture in John chapter 1, 1 through 3, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, John is teaching that there is something or someone that he refers to as the Word that was there in the beginning that it was with God, that was God, that was on equal terms with God, but was also separate and away from God. And this word he actually defines for us in verse 14, tells us what he's talking about. He says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so that Word was Jesus Christ. The Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, the begotten of the Father, the Son of the Father, is that human being that we recognize as Jesus Christ. But John says Jesus was there at the beginning as the Word of God. Now, that word, word, is the Greek word logos. And it carries with it this idea of communication, as you would expect, of, of an action and an interaction. And so Jesus, I believe John is teaching, was there at the beginning interacting with the creation, creating alongside God the Father and the Spirit as well. And so we see that Trinity, all three persons of God that were there in the beginning. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3, the writer says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He's talking about Jesus here, the Son of God. And he says, this Son of God, this Jesus, he made the worlds. So a lot of times when we hear Jesus, we think of the man in the robes with the beard and the long hair. But Jesus existed far before that. In fact, he is eternal. He has always existed. Along with who we think of as God the Father, Jesus was there at the beginning, forming the very earth that we now live on, forming the creatures that walk on this earth with us. And he was there at creation, witnessing the pinnacle of God's creation, you and I, man and woman. Jesus was there, helping to create, witnessing and seeing and being a part of all of those things. And so this word concept that John talks about Jesus as we recognize that now very simply as Jesus was sent as the Word of God. I mean, He was the messenger of God. He carried God's Word into this world. 
He spoke on behalf of God as God. But even in the beginning, he was that factor, that part of God. And so when we read Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 3, where it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. I believe that we can see all three persons of God in those verses. Because we see God in verse 1, who we would consider to be the God the Father. We see the Spirit of God specifically mentioned, and we see the Word of God spoken who John says was Jesus, by whom God created the worlds. And so in the very first three verses of the Bible, we see Jesus alongside God and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, when he was walking this earth in John 17, 5, prayed this prayer to God. He said, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so I just want us to recognize that even in the human being, Jesus' own words, he said, I shared the glory of God long before the world existed even existed. Jesus is eternal, folks. Jesus isn't just a man. Jesus wasn't just created at the time in which Mary became pregnant with with the baby Jesus. Jesus has always existed, has always been there. And that means he was there throughout mankind's history. He was there to see the creation of man. He was there to see Adam and Eve's fall and to be disappointed right along with God as they ate of that fruit that God had commanded them not to. He was there to see Cain uprise against his brother and murder him. Jesus witnessed that. He witnessed the world become extremely evil in the days of Noah. He witnessed Enoch and would have, I'm sure, been encouraged and delighted as God was that Enoch was a faithful man who didn't have to face death because God took him because of his faithfulness. He also would have been delighted to see Noah's faith and obedience in obeying God's plan for the salvation of him and his family. Jesus was there at the Tower of Babel as mankind thought that they could build that tower and reach up into the heavens. Jesus saw it. And in fact, in Genesis 11 there, God uses, or the writer there, Genesis Moses, uses that word, let us go down, just as he did in the creation of mankind. That God is not just one being, but three in one. Jesus was there. He saw Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and witness to these things. He saw Joseph suffer and be sold as a slave by his brothers and then rise up to power in Egypt. He saw the Israelites move to Egypt and eventually become slaves for 450 years. Jesus was there throughout all of that history. He saw and was there and interacted with people as Moses led the people out of Egyptian slavery into Mount Sinai where a covenant was made with mankind. And Jesus was there when that covenant was made with Israel. And in that covenant, a promise of something greater that was yet to come. He was there as Saul became the first king of Israel and David followed him and Solomon and the good kings and bad kings that all followed Judah and Israel, those kingdoms. After that, Jesus was there throughout all of this history. And as the people were put into captivity, as the Assyrians took some of those Israelites away, as Babylon captured some of those Israelites, as Rome took over the known world and began to oppress the people of God, Jesus was there and existed. Jesus has always been there throughout our history. There are some that believe that Jesus was instrumental in interacting with certain characters of the Old Testament and that we can see him in the Old Testament. And I'm going to show you some of these examples where this belief comes from. And I don't know that there's any way to know for sure whether or not this was Jesus or not, but it is interesting. And so I want to share with you, you remember the story of Hagar as 
Abraham was promised that son through his wife Sarah, and yet Sarah got impatient and sent Hagar. And so Hagar became uh, pregnant with Abraham's son, but it wasn't the promised son. And so then Sarah got jealous and cast Hagar out. The angel of the Lord appears to Hagar and speaks to her. And many times people believe that Jesus comes in the Old Testament in the form of this angel of the Lord, in angelic or spirit form. And this is the reason why. In Genesis 16 and 10, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar and says to her, I will multiply thy, thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for our multitude. And the people that believe that Jesus was instrumental in, in interacting with these Old Testament characters would say an angel as a simple messenger of God would not say, I will multiply your seed. But only God himself could say that. Abraham is another example. As Abraham is offering his son Isaac or about to offer Isaac on that altar to God, and the angel of the Lord calls out from heaven and stops him in Genesis 22, verse 11. says, The angel of the Lord called out unto him out of heaven, and he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy, thy son, thine only son, from me. Not from God, but from me. And so they, they again would point to this and say, This angel of the Lord seems to have the ability to speak with authority and for God. As God. Moses is another example in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 6, as he sees that burning bush and God begins to speak to him. It's actually the angel of the Lord once again that appears to him in a flame out of the fire, out of the midst of a bush. And then in verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses, he said, Here am I. And of course, we know that as that conversation continues, he says, I am that I am. And it's very clear and evident that it is God that is speaking to Moses here. But it is the angel of the Lord, it says, that appeared to him in that bush. And the Israelites in Exodus chapter 23, this is interesting as well. We see a promise as the Israelites were about to go forth into trying to conquer Canaan, that promised land. God said, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. And many people have wondered about who this angel was that God was going to send to guide the people into this promised land. Some of them believe it to be Moses. Some of them believe it to be Joshua. Some of them believe it to be an angel, a simple angel messenger from God. And some believe that this was Jesus because God said, my name is in him. And then finally, I'll give you one more, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We remember that story as they stood up to King Nebuchadnezzar and they didn't bow down to that false idol and they were thrown in that fiery furnace. We remember that there was a fourth figure that appeared inside that fire as those men were saved from the flames and protected from that fiery death. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Lo, I see four men loose and walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And so there's no way to know, in my opinion, whether or not this was Jesus or this was an angel or this was uh, some other form of God helping and protecting and interacting with mankind. But what I do know is that whether these were Jesus, his specific actions or not, Jesus has always been there. He is eternal. He has always existed. And so in one way or another, Jesus has always interacted with you and I, with mankind, as an eternal God. And so to me, the next logical question becomes, if Jesus is eternal and he is God, then why would he become a human being like us? 
Why would he become a man? And the answer, I believe, is simple. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. We remember in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were told not to eat of that fruit. They did. They disobeyed God, sinned against them, and there were several consequences that came from that. Adam would have to deal with thorns and hardship and working and growing crops. Um, Eve would be subject unto Adam and would have pain and childbirth, so on and so forth. And then we get to this prophecy, the first prophecy of the man Jesus Christ. And it says, God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And God is prophesying about a seed of man, of Adam and Eve, that would come forth that would bruise or crush the head of Satan, even though he himself would suffer pain or the bruising of his heel. And so there was something to come through from this prophecy that someone would come who would be hurt by Satan but would not be defeated, and that same person would be able to bruise the head or crush the head of that serpent. And as we think about that, uh, the, the simplest illustration is literally to imagine that you're standing next to a snake. And obviously, there's, if there's a poisonous snake and you can't get uh, you know, an, an anti-venom or whatever, then that snake could potentially kill you. But if you're standing next to a snake and it bites your heel, it's going to hurt. It's not going to feel good, but it's not going to cripple you. It's not going to kill you that instant. And if you turn around and you smash the head of that snake with the heel of your foot, you're going to do a whole lot more damage to it than it did to you. And that's the prophecy, that there is someone that's coming that you're going to hurt, but he's going to do way more damage to you. And this prophecy is about Jesus. Jesus is inserted into mankind's history as a person himself in order to restore a relationship with God that was now broken. You see, when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they sinned against God, and with that sin came separation. And we find the scriptures teach that all of us, when we commit sin before God, we are separated from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And so when Adam and Eve committed that sin, their relationship with God was broken. No longer could they walk in that garden and communicate with God and see God and talk with God. Now they were separate from him. They were subject to both physical death and spiritual death. And every human being that's been born since then has committed sin at some point in their life that has separated them spiritually from God. And all of us are in need of a bridge, of some way to rebuild that relationship between us and the God that created us. And Jesus was inserted into mankind's history as a man to be that bridge and to become that bridge. And so that's what we're going to talk about through the course of this study this week in this series. I want you to know that Jesus' coming was prophesied over and over and over again in the Old Testament. And so once again, we recognize that he was not just a man, but he was an eternal being. And from the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, he was prophesied to come. But that wasn't the only prophecy. In fact, there are 300 or so prophecies about Jesus' coming that are in the Old Testament. One of those is Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, that talks about the eternal kingdom that would be established. It says, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Now, if you remember the context of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel is speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has had this dream, and he's seen this statue made of different types of, of metals. And he's concerned about what this statue means and what this dream means. He sees this stone that strikes the statue and it crumbles to pieces and the wind carries it away. 
And then the stone becomes a great mountain and it fills the whole earth and he's worried, he's concerned about this dream. And so Daniel interprets this dream for him and tells him what he means. And it says, Daniel tells him that God is predicting the succession of four different kingdoms. Babylon being that head of gold and that first one, after them the Medes and the Persians, then the Greeks, and then Rome. And as he is delivering that message about Rome being that fourth kingdom, he leads with this prophecy. In the, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And so God, through Daniel, is telling Nebuchadnezzar and telling us through the ages that after Babylon and the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks would come Rome, and during the days of Rome, an eternal kingdom would be established. An eternal kingdom needs an eternal king. And that eternal king is Jesus Christ. This king that was to come was prophesied to be of the, the seed of David, a descendant of King David. In 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13, the Bible says, When thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now some people might look at this and they say, well, it's talking about a, an ancestor of David that would simply sit on the throne of Israel. But it can't be that. Because this person, this king, his throne would be established forever. His kingdom was to be eternal and his kingship was to be eternal. This was not talking about a mere man. This was talking about an eternal being that was going to come down in human form and become the king of an eternal kingdom, and that is Jesus Christ. In fact, we see Jesus fulfill that in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, where the Bible says the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Son there means child or kinship, descendant, and we see that Jesus was indeed of the seed of David, just like this prophecy foretold. There's a prophecy in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that tells us that Jesus in human form would come and be born in a little town called Bethlehem. Micah wrote, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Notice the last phrase of that verse. This ruler, this Jesus that was to come and be the king of that eternal kingdom, he said, His goings forth, his movements, his existence has been from old, from everlasting. This Jesus, this Messiah, this Savior, this King that was coming, He is an eternal being that's being sent by God. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. We see the fulfillment of this in Matthew 2, verse 1, where it says, When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, and behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And we're going to cover all of these things as we move through the, the studies this week in more detail. But I just want us to recognize as we go throughout the Old Testament history, Jesus is there. And he's prophesied of as this eternal being that would be king of that eternal kingdom. In Isaiah 7 verse 14, there's another one where Isaiah prophesies, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now this was to be a sign that this was that eternal being that was coming to be king of that eternal kingdom because he was going to be born of a virgin. And that doesn't happen. That never has happened. That won't ever happen again. This was going to be something special. It was going to be evident that this was him. And of course, we know Jesus fulfills this. In Matthew 1, verse 20, that angel comes to Joseph and says, Fear not to take in thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And so the child that Mary carried, that baby Jesus, she delivered that baby as a virgin, just as Isaiah prophesied. Did you know that the Old Testament prophets prophesied that this eternal being that came down in human form to be King, Messiah, and Savior, that he would perform miracles? 
Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6 says, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. And so Isaiah is prophesying about the miracles that would take place at the hand of this eternal being that came down as a human. And we see, of course, many times over that Jesus fulfills this. Matthew 15 and verse 30 says, Great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. He made the lame man walk. He caused the blind to see, and the deaf to hear, and the dumb to speak. Jesus fulfilled these prophecies just as we would expect him as God coming down as a human would. It was prophesied by Zechariah that Jesus, this Savior, this Messiah, would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. In Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. Now this is a strange one too in the sense that it's, it's a minor detail. It's a small thing. It's an odd thing to prophesy about someone. But it would be evident when they saw this person ride into Jerusalem on a young donkey. And, of course, we know that Jesus does this in Matthew 21 as he enters Jerusalem for the, first, or for the last time before his crucifixion. It says, The disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and set him thereon. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so Jesus fulfills this prophecy as well, just as we would expect. And of course, in Psalm 22, there's the prophecy that this eternal being that was going to come down as human, in human form as King and Messiah and Savior and Lord would be crucified on a cross. And note that this was written long before the Roman crucifixion methods even existed or were known. And yet Psalm 22 verse 14 says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. And we have a prophecy of this Savior, this eternal being as a man, suffering at the hands of mankind, having his hands and his feet pierced with nails. And what do we see in the crucifixion of Jesus? We see just that. And we see as Jesus was crucified in Matthew 27, verse 35, in that Roman crucifixion way, they lifted him up onto that cross. They had nailed those nails into his hands and his feet. And that Psalm 22 description is very fitting for what Jesus went through. Thomas in John 20, when he was doubting, he wanted to see the print of the hands and the nails in Jesus' resurrected body, and Jesus showed them to him and proved that he was resurrected and was alive, but he was the Messiah. And I just want us to recognize that this prophecy of a crucifixion that was to take place took place and was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And finally, there's a prophecy in Psalm 16 and 9 and 10 that this Savior, this eternal being that came down in the form of man would not only be crucified but would then be raised from the grave and would not stay in the grave. In Psalm 16, 9, it says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall also rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. And we know that Jesus did, in fact, come forth from the grave. In Acts 13, 37, 
36 tells us, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto the fathers and saw corruption, but he, Jesus, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. So as we think about tonight, this idea of who Jesus was, as we start this series, and we embark into looking at some of the details of his life here on earth, I want us to recognize that he did not begin in that little town of Bethlehem. He did not begin nine months earlier when he was conceived inside Mary. He began never because he's eternal. He is God. He was with God. He is God. He has always been there throughout mankind's history, interacting in whatever way he has chosen. He has interacted and witnessed the history of our human race. And then he became a man just like us fulfilling all of these Old Testament prophecies, and we tonight have looked at eight. That's it. There are 300-some prophecies of this Savior, this Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled every single one. And if you're curious to know what the odds of that happening, there have been smarter people than me that have calculated those odds. On Jesus or anyone fulfilling even eight of these prophecies simply as a result of a life lived without being the purposeful Messiah and Savior. And that is one in 100 quadrillion. That's the chances that anyone could have fulfilled eight prophecies, and yet Jesus not only fulfilled eight, but he fulfilled every single prophetic message that was written about him from these Old Testament prophets. And so Jesus has always been, and he is here now. Jesus is an eternal being that came down and lived with mankind, fulfilling those prophecies, and we see his start in Luke chapter 1, 26 through 33, when God this young woman Mary and told her that she was going to give birth to this eternal being, this God-made flesh. And she was chosen for what reason? We don't know exactly, but she was worthy and was considered the right person, the right woman, to be the mother of the Christ and of the Savior. And so this angel approaches her, in Luke 1 and verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And so as the angel comes before Mary and delivers this message of hope, that the Savior is being sent, and she is the one that is to carry this child and to raise this child that would become the Messiah, the Savior, and the King. She's told from the beginning that he is the King of the eternal kingdom that was promised in Daniel 2 and verse 44 and promised again and again throughout the Old Testament. What an amazing gift she was given and what a tremendous responsibility has just fallen on her shoulders. Now, as you can imagine, Joseph, who was supposed to be married to Mary. They were engaged to be married. He finds out that she's with child. And he's a good man, a compassionate man, and so he doesn't want to cause her any public embarrassment or, or shame. 
but he believes her to have been unfaithful, and so he's going to end the engagement. And an angel of the Lord comes to him in Matthew 1.19. says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And Joseph hears this message and of course believes and responds and stays engaged to Mary and becomes the earthly father to the Savior, the Messiah, and the King of the eternal kingdom. But this angel in his message to Joseph reveals the purpose for why Jesus is coming. Not just to be king of an eternal kingdom, but through that kingship, through becoming Lord and Master and King of that eternal kingdom, he is offering salvation to each and every person that would join him. And so Jesus is being sent into this earth in order to save his people from their sins. Tomorrow night we're going to pick up the story with the birth of Jesus. And we're going to start looking at the events of his life in chronological order, essentially. And we're going to examine some of those things in detail. But tonight I want you to know that Jesus is an eternal being and always has been and always will be. And he is reigning today as king of that eternal kingdom. His purpose was to save his people from their sins, and he has accomplished that purpose. He died on that cross to save you and I. He was resurrected from that grave to prove to you and I that we could be too. And so I would be remiss if I did not offer that invitation tonight for you to be a part of that eternal kingdom that Jesus reigns over. If you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior tonight, he simply asks that you believe in him as the Son of God, that you're willing to confess that belief before people, that you're willing to repent of your sins, to change your life from living for yourself to living for Him, and to be baptized in water, meeting the blood of Christ and having your sins washed away. And if you'll do that, then you can allow Jesus to fulfill His purpose and His mission in you. If we can help you with that tonight, or with any other need that you may have of the, of the church, we offer that invitation to you now and ask that you come and sit on a front pew as we stand and sing. And sing them-